Welcome back from lunch. Before we start with our question period, I'd like to uh, thank Shaw TV, who broadcasts our SACPA sessions daily at 2 and 10 p.m. and later makes them available for YouTube viewing. I hope you check us out there if you've missed any SACPA sessions. I'd like to thank the Lethbridge Herald, CKXU FM Radio 88.3, and other media coverage for, of SACPA events. I'd like to thank Country Kitchen Catering for their friendly service and University of Lethbridge for SACPA support. I hope you've had a good time talking about reform of the Senate uh, over lunch. And the moderator will shortly entertain questions uh, during the session. We also entertain any written questions you wish to submit. You can bring them to the front and I will be happy to read them for you. Um, as a reminder, uh, you should have on your tables next week's topic, which is police carding are random street checks legal or warranted? The speaker is Miranda Halati, and the moderator will be Michelle Day. Um, remember, keep your comments brief, avoid personal attacks. Limit your questions to one or two on the topic being discussed at the provided microphone, which is just there. And um, without further ado, I welcome back Grant Mitchell to the podium. All right. I like that part about no personal attacks. I can take it though if you really feel you need to get it off your chest. Yes. Senator Mitchell, Balbura here. Yes, Paul, yeah. It's nice to see you. You know, just an observation here. You said that uh, Canada is probably one of the hard to govern countries. Complicated. I think that that's an understatement, actually. Just wait for another few more years to see what happens. An observation here. Do you see the mosaic in this room? Yep. Not too much. Okay. Not yeah, as much as I would, I would like to see. Mm -hmm. What's the reason? Uh, the question is about the, you didn't say anything about the terms of the uh, senators. Like, it goes from whenever you are appointed till all the day. So w I want you to speak on that. And mm -hmm. one more, truth and reconciliation. Hmm. I mean, there has been so much lip service provided in this country for so many years. And now we have this report written and everything, recommendations made. What is the Senate's role in that? Grant, thank you very much. Thank you. The uh, question of mosaic, term limits, and truth and reconciliation. So there's the half an hour. Uh, I'll make it quick. I. I Culture is who you are. It is in your soul. It defines you. And when you take culture away from somebody, it's soul searing, which I think has a lot to do with what's occurred with our Aboriginal peoples. One of the, one of the most remarkable things about Canada is its multicultural policy. I love it. I love Canada for many reasons. That's one of them. Because you can have your culture. You can be respected for having your culture. But it's not a barrier in any way, shape, or form. Um, by and large, you're being integrated fully and actively in our 
broader society and, and economy and so on. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't elements of, uh, of discrimination and so on. There are, and we have work to do. But, but really, the essential quality of our multiculturalism is remarkable and defines us, which will bring me, uh, in a way, to, uh, and I'll get to it, to Truth in Our City. Term limits. The, the 2014 reference to the Supreme Court was uh, based on, on the Harper government's two proposals, one to elect the Senate and two to have a term limit of a certain number of years. One of the ironies is why would you have a term limit if you were electing people? The, their electorate can determine. So, so you either have one or the other, I would say. But if you're electing, your electorate can say, I don't want you for more than one term. You can have a, t a limited term, a, a period of time, and but that's not they were t they were talking about that and the fact that you couldn't run again and I just thought that, that was inconsistent. I think uh, there would probably be a um, quite a desire or acceptance even among senators for term limits. But again, you have to open up the constitution because because the the what the government was trying to do was use the third form of constitutional amendment, which was the two houses can amend the constitution if those amendments don't fundamentally alter the nature of those institutions, the, the parliament. But the, but the Supreme Court ruled that e even specifying term limits would, and uh, also uh, certainly electing, even with this out sort, of, sort of recommendation kind of process of election, that that would fundamentally change. So that's why that's not going to happen. I think, uh, as I said earlier, the, the last time I, I read an article and analysis of it, it was about six years that an average MP lasts and about 11 or 12 that an average senator lasts. So it isn't as big a problem. It's not that many get appointed at 30 and stay till 75. It's actually, uh, but I think it has to be longer than eight years, which was being proposed by the former government, because that would mean that one prime minister winning two elections could appoint the whole Senate. And I don't think that would be particularly good. So um, I don't think term limits are going to happen anytime soon, but I think you're, you are seeing some senator, one senator most recently left after eight years because he said that he was, he was um, appointed under that consideration. The Truth and Reconciliation, I'm not by any means um, an expert in that, uh, but I'll say a couple of things. Uh, one is that Canada has done some remarkable things in its history that have made it a beacon for people around the world. And actually, it's interesting, I was just in, I was two days ago, I was in Dalhousie speaking to um, a panel and on a panel and then to a class, and there was a, a young woman in the class, and her name card was Katie Powell, P-O-W, Powell. And it turns out that years ago, I read a book called The Canada of Light, and I and a, by a guy called Bruce Poe, very, um, very, uh, you know, not widely known. He's a professor at, at York. I just happened upon the book. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book about, and he's written many of them about the remarkable features of Canada. I recommend it. He's really, uh, he's a really, really beautiful writer. But in any event, Canada's in all kinds of remarkable things. Multiculturalism. Um, the the uh, Charter of Rights, uh, uh, the ability for federalism, you know, to prove that the world, you can work and manage disparate places like that. I believe that one of the, the next great frontiers for us um, as leaders in the world would be to reconcile with Aboriginal peoples. And I think we have a, a, a sense amongst the population generally and certainly a government that's very, very much inclined to want to do that. It's extremely difficult to do that for all kinds of reasons. But I think there is, uh, I think, as a nation, it's a it's a project, uh, not to be condescending because the Aboriginal people, you know, will 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 fix this themselves. But what can we do to help? And uh, so that's what I would say about truth and reconciliation.
Those are the three. Yes. Bev, Bev Mendel Atherstone, thank you very much for your talk and for coming here to Lethbridge. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the big problems with the Senate is that in the past, when the prime ministers appointed people to the Senate, they would appoint them along partisan lines. Mm -hmm. So the Senate is stacked with people who are either liberals or conservatives, no matter what we call them. Um, so this, so I've, I have two questions. One is, are there any NDP um, people in the Senate right now that you know of? And with the five-person panel that's going to make recommendations to the Prime Minister about who should be appointed, even if Canadians can appoint themselves, how are those people chosen? Um, so your first question about, are there any NDP? Actually, Lillian Dick, who I mentioned earlier, was a New Democrat, and she sat uh, independently for the longest time, but the New Democrats didn't recognize her. So eventually she came and sat with the Liberals. The, um, in the first seven people that Mr. Trudeau appointed, uh, Frances Lankin was appointed. She was a former uh, cabinet minister with uh, the uh, Ontario New Democrats in the 90s. Very, very, uh, both of them are extremely capable people. There are probably a number of other, uh, particularly more, more recent uh, appointees who, are, who would be, you know, relatively um, left. Most of them are progressive, uh, quite progressive, but they're not all declared. Uh, so it's, it, there is a, there is a, um, I think it's a misconception, I hope it is, that, that Mr. Trudeau's program doesn't allow for the appointment of anybody who's been a politician. That's actually not true, and I mentioned to, uh, to him and others that I think that, in fact, you do need some people with a political background who understand how a chamber runs. Uh, I think they're, they're, it's helpful if there's a distance between when they were political and when they get appointed. But it, it, you could come right out of politics, uh, elected politics, and be appointed as long as you, you understand this distinction. And let me just get to partisanship. We're all partisans. I mean, if, if you believe in Hondas and I believe in Volkswagens, we've taken partisan, and we argue about it, we've taken partisan positions. The key isn't to do away with partisanship, and the key isn't also to, to, to think that everybody's going to go in there and be a technocrat. It's not true. We don't want that. Everybody, I'm a small L liberal, even though I'm now independent. Uh, you know, people who, even if they weren't, were, were no longer in the Conservative caucus, are probably small C conservatives. There's nothing wrong with that at all. What I, because we all bring values. That's what politics are about. You know, the easy decisions are, are already done. When you're making political decisions and public policy decisions, you're, you're, you're out over here where, you know, you don't have definitive empirical evidence that proves one thing or the other, or you argue about it, climate change. Um, so values are very important. Uh, but the, the key is there uh, that I think you don't want political party partisanship. You don't want that influence. So I'm not as worried whether we, of who we have now, their backgrounds. I want them to be accomplished people. Um, but, I, but I am, and dedicated in, to something bigger than themselves. That's what public, great public policy is about. But um, beyond that. The five-person panels. Um, there are three national members. And then in each province uh, that is considering there are two selected from the province in, in um, discussion with the Premier if the Premier wants to be part of it. I know uh, Premier Clark had said she didn't, and I'm not sure that Premier Notley would. And in fact, one of the three national ones up until recently was um, the former president of U University of Alberta. 
so I'm not sure how they actually um, selected that. You can go to the, uh, I should too, and I should check, that's a good question. Um, but it ultimately, it's the Prime Minister who selects that body, but it may be the three that select the other two in each province, which would give it even more objectivity. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming. My name is Patricia Boswell, and you, you started to touch on my question with your last answer. I think most people's cynicism with the Senate is, is always being connected with partisanship, where each, uh, each prime minister is always stacked it. Now, you've made reference in your speech to you are a liberal group, although for all intents, independent. And at the end of the speech, you said, and if the PCs also uh, decided to follow that and, and go the other way, uh, obviously, when you go to the, the polling booth, you have your audience. If you say, to all effect, we are independent. We, the public, I think, would have a lot more faith. Yeah. Uh, I am independent. I left the, the Liberal Caucus. So, uh, and, and the, the government representative group, uh, the three of us are all independents. Uh, Deanne Belmar left the Conservative Caucus long before she was appointed to this job, and Peter Harder was an was a immensely successful public servant. He was a, a deputy minister when he was in his 30s, and he ended up being the minister of Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs by 52, and then he retired and was brought back by the Prime Minister. He's always been a, you know, a, a, a sterling public servant, so he's, he's very apolitical. Um, so now, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to judge, um, because it's extremely provocative, good people, liberal and conservative senators. Uh, and I can't, and I don't think you want a Senate where we tell you you can't be there if you call yourself a liberal. I, I just don't. No, no, works. no, I'm not suggesting that. No, and you're not that. suggesting that. No. So what I'm saying is the liberals, in fact, are independent in the, in the critical way that I think you're getting at, is they're not part of the National Liberal Caucus with the elected mm -hmm. representatives and the prime minister mm -hmm. standing in front of them, you know, using his immense persuasive powers to get them to vote in a certain way. They're separate from that completely. And believe me, they haven't been supporting government legislation particularly uh, in, a, in a necessarily in any kind of predictable or, or consistent way. I don't mean that negatively. I mean, they, they are being very, very, uh, very um, uh, objective in the way that they approach government legislation. What I'm saying about the conservatives, again, they're extremely good people, um, but I just think you can't convince you, I can't convince you that they're independent when they're sitting in a, in a caucus with Mr. Scheer and, and, mm -hmm. and, and persuasive conservative elected members of parliament who, who are their friends. And that's ultimately what I went through to make the decision that I made. I, I said, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, although, you know, that I could be objective, but I can't convince you I am if I'm sitting in, in, a, in a caucus mm -hmm. with Mr. Trudeau. I can't. So he did the right thing. And I'm, you know, I'm, I miss that caucus. There were brilliant people there, and it was mm -hmm. stimulating and, and exciting. And, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't right any longer. It served a purpose for 149 years. Okay, so work years. on the conservatives then. Well, um, I, uh, why don't you call your member of parliament and suggest that, because uh, it's, it's going to be public pressure that will do it. Well, actually, there's probably some sentiment. I don't know, but there's probably some sentiment amongst conservatives that they would like to abolish the Senate. Some, I, I, you know, you hear things, you read. Um, I, I bet you there's not a monolithic support for the way the Senate exists in the, the old way, uh, in any particular, certainly not with the New Democrats, but yes. Thank you very much. May I just call you Mr. Mitchell? Sure. 
You can call me Grant. I am. My uh, son does. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> I'm winking. One of them. I'm winking at 100 years. Wow. And I've seen a lot of governments, senators, politicians come and go, fib their way around. But just one basic question I'd like to answer. If we have any more senators come, try to tell us how good they are, what the good they do. We'll start believing it, you know. <laughs> You're the second one in a row here. But anyway, bless the uh, nominating committee for asking you to come. My basic question is, what would have happened in happenstance had Mr. Trudeau kept his word and gone with a first-to-the-post law or president, whatever it was, that he reneged on? What would be a senator's position if we'd gone ahead with the first of the post? Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I can't speak for Mr. Trudeau, uh, and I won't, but I will say, you want to hear what I, for yes. what it's worth, you're asking me, the personal opinion. I have, every single form of election has its weaknesses. And I, to exaggerate for emphasis, and I know this will be provocative, but I'll bet you if we'd had first pass, or if we'd had um, proportional representation for 149 years, now 150 years, we'd be talking about first past the post. Because every one of them has, has, has problems. The problem for me with, with proportional representation is you can end up with perpetual, two things, perpetual minorities. Uh, Italy had 41 governments in 42 years or something. And you can also end up in a situation where the balance of power is held by, by extreme small groups. And that you can, you can, now there's some arguments against this, and I'm not an expert in this, but I actually believe that our system of government and our electoral process hasn't worked out all that badly because what you get is you get periods of minor, majority government where you, where you can do some difficult things, and then you get periods of minority government where you kind of resettle and, and, uh, and rebalance. One of the problems with some, will bother some Albertans with minority governments is that they become awfully expensive often because the minority, the, the balance of power people can force a government to do things that are expensive and they don't have to take, they don't have to wear them, the government does. So it's not a panacea. I don't, I don't think there is a panacea in, in, any, in any way, but I think actually Alberta's system has, has had the benefit of proportional representation in that it gets minority governments from time to time, if that's a benefit, I think it is. And then it has the advantages of, of, of um, uh, first past the post where it gets majorities. And one of the things, that, just to, to further this a little bit further, the importance of why I love, one of the things I love about the parliamentary system is that what you get in the states where you really do have this freedom, you know, these, because everything's negotiated. I, I remember reading that because, uh, because everybody is, they, they don't have party discipline, as it were, in, in a sense, in, in their elected areas. And I have to be careful because I'm saying we shouldn't have it in the Senate. But, but what you get in, 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 the, in, in, the, in the U.S. is negotiated settlements all the time. It's always brokering. But in Canada, you can actually take a, a, an unpopular position, create a majority round, and drive it. So it hit me during the GST. I know this a long time ago, but where the GST was to, to solve a problem, the manufacturer tail set, which affected our exports. Everybody knew that that was a problem. There was probably 15 or 20 ways to do something about it. There wasn't 51% of the population that agreed with any of those ways. So when you have a majority government, you can sort of say, okay, let's, what's the least worst of all these and you can put behind a majority and get it through. And then it comes to an independent Senate now, which gives it sober second thought from an objective point of view, tweaks it and amends it a bit and makes it better. 
Thank you. Okay. Good afternoon, Senator Mitchell. Hi. Uh, my name is Michael Pine. Uh, one of the biggest dangers in a democracy is tyranny of the majority. Now, whether it be the American Republican system or our parliamentary system, the purpose of the Senate in each place is to act as a foil and prevent tyranny of the majority. Now, our system hasn't been that good at it because of the partisanship within, and he's going a long way to do it. So my question is, uh, there is one rid of the Senate. Without a Senate, is by population. Tough question, I know, but maybe you can answer that. Politically party partisan. I, I just disagree with abolishing the Senate. Um, I think that philosophically, but I, I, I give you all kinds of examples of where somebody who isn't just put and changed in, in many in many valuable ways. And and, and the Senate, uh, I guess, conservative budget. That budget, which amounted to about the review in the House of Commons, it received 80 hours of review, changed it, because that th it was difficult to amend in those days. But I will say that uh, the power of, of words and ideas, once they're in the ether, they begin to change things. And so uh, you wouldn't have that. Uh, no. uh, you would have had a very different uh, military experience in Afghanistan. Um, I have huge respect for the New Democrats, and they have a every right to argue that democratic um, at all. I think making the Senate less political party partisan with credibility, I'm not sure it'll do a better job, but it will do it with credibility. And as long as we understand that in legislation, because we're not elected, then we can find that balance. But it, there's no way you can... You can <coughs> My name is Terry Shellington. Uh, Grant Mitchell, thank you very much for being here and for walking the Senate might play in the highest sense that you envisage the Senate. but comes out of a particular remark you made. I, I, I sense your capital L liberalness as you look at truth and reconciliation and, and assure us that um, there's much work to be done, but the present prime minister is disposed to work at it and uh, we're really going to make some progress here. Uh, <coughs> I think in terms of cosmetic changes, the prime minister is a very strong leader, but um, I think uh, as a nation, we're fundamentally hung up on Aboriginal people because there is great will among the people and probably the leadership to make cosmetic changes that make us feel better, but very little will to, uh, to make fundamental changes that, that would give Aboriginal people a place in our country. And I, for example, the, the, the gap in, um, in educational yeah. spending for Aboriginal children and for white children is an unthinkable gap. Uh, but that's just an example. I think there's a fundamental lack of political will uh, among Canadian people to really make some difficult changes, and I think the Senate, which doesn't have to be re-elected and doesn't have to pay attention to political will, um, could help the Canadian people uh, and the political leaders focus on the gap between what we'd like, what the cosmetic changes that make us feel good, and what Aboriginal people really need. I, 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 um, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm ditto. I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I would, I did, I meant to mention some of the things that, I think the Senate does have a role to play in that, and I think one of the reasons is because it has some remarkable members who, um, uh, and I'll mention a couple who happen to be very, very expert in this area. One is um, Marie Sinclair, who was head of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, remarkably uh, um, 
I know, just a just a wonderful person and very very good at this. Lillian Dick, uh, same thing. Um, Dan Christian, who uh, Christmas, who is from uh, New Brunswick, and it took his uh, you know his Indigenous Nation group from enterprise with five employees to enterprise with 500 employees. Um, right now, S3, I don't know if you're aware of S3, but it's a government bill that started in the Senate. Any, any S bill that's under 200 is a government bill, and any C bill that's under 200 is a government bill. C bills start in the House of Commons, and S bills, just so you, you know, just for fun, and S bills start in the Senate. S3 is a bill that's been designed to make further steps towards um, equality of, of uh, indigenous women's um, uh, rights and versus indigenous males' rights. And some of that was done, I think, in the 80s with C10, where, I mean, if, 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 a, if a, an indigenous woman had a child with, a, with a, a white male, the child wasn't indigenous. But if an indigenous man had a, had a child with a white uh, mother, then the child was indigenous. But there's all kinds of other examples and cases where that haven't been settled yet. So it was the Senate that's held up that bill, because that bill doesn't solve the problem entirely. And we, we stopped it, and, and did, it came back to us. Um, they didn't accept the amendment. And uh, we just left it on the order paper in, in, in June and forced the government to go to, uh, back to the court and get an extension. And now um, Lillian Dick, at least, and uh, Murray Sinclair are working directly with the minister uh, on fixing that bill. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that the Senate can do. Thank you, Senator Mitchell. My name is Tad Mitsui. My question is, there are amazing number of things that have been changed in the Senate. According to Constitution, could you please point out two or three things you cannot change according to Constitution in the Senate? If you want to change Senate to reform it, to make it more effective, can you name two, maybe three, things you simply are not allowed to change. Without constitutional change. Uh, before I leave the microphone, this is an entirely different subject, but uh, I, as a Japanese Canadian, I must thank the Senate for what they did in 1949. In 1945, House of Commons passed a res uh, law called Repatriation Act, meaning all those who were interned in the internment camp during the war were supposed to be shipped to Japan, including David Suzuki. And in 1949, already 3,000 Japanese Canadians were shipped to Japan, which is stupid because Japan is foreign country. These were Canadians. Senate stopped it. Senate stopped the implementation of that Repatriation Act, 1949. And Japanese Canadians are eternally grateful for what the Senate did that year. This is different from questions. I'm sorry, I apologize. But question is, constitutionally, what you cannot change, what are they? Thank you, and I will uh, just uh, with reference to your um, to your other point that uh, the Senate takes its its role with respect to defending rights, minority rights, and rights generally extremely seriously, and, and some of the the greatest debates that 
that I've witnessed in the Senate, and there are many great debates. That, that place soars. It's going to be wonderful when it's uh, televised, I believe, um, have been around rights issues. Uh, so, um, of course, beyond abolition and election, which require constitutional change, what else can't change? You can't change the term limits, uh, as was pointed out by the Supreme Court, without constitutional change. Um, I expect that you can't, uh, that the Prime Minister, you can't, um, it's hard to say yet, but you can't elect a speaker in the Senate without, because it's um, a, a, an order, a government council appointment, and that may be based in the Constitution. So our, our, Senate, our speaker is, is appointed by the Prime Minister. Um, there's all, you can't, uh, you know, you can't declare that independents don't have all the rights that other senators have, for example. They constitutionally be, they undoubtedly have that right. Um, can't which? You can't, uh, I, that's interesting, yeah, I wonder, I wonder. Um, we did increase the number of seats uh, when we created the three, the three, um, you know, the, the, the two regions. But I maybe, and I don't know if it took constitutional change to better con and, and to do uh, Newfoundland. That's a good, that's a really good point, Heather. I'll have to, so, I'll have to check on that. Hi, Hi. my name is Henning Mundell. You gave, uh, uh, kudos to our former senator Joyce Fairburn and uh, I definitely appreciate that um, about eight or ten ten years ago I approached her to give a talk to our Rotary Club on literacy and she said are there people that are interested my colleagues in the Senate aren't and I'm going my question actually is like a challenge to you who has taken that mantle of literacy in the Senate, if anybody, after she uh, finished her term, um, I'm uh, I'm su I'm surprised, although I don't second guess Joyce, that that people wouldn't that she would think that there wasn't a great deal of support for literacy in the Senate because there because there is and there there was and then, and there is. Is there somebody who has taken that as their issue as Joyce did? Um, no, there isn't. But it's a, it, actually it's. Thank you for mentioning it because it's, I, I learned quickly when I got to the Senate, I, I concluded quickly at least, when I watched Joyce and I watched Sharon Carstairs and I watched people who I thought were great senators, what they did to be great was, among other things, was to focus on an issue. Because you, you get people like, like you know, us who are, you are really interested in public policy, you can go there, it's, it's just like this remarkable smorgasbord of public policy issues. You could just be dispersed everywhere. So she focused and she did, she's focused on Special Olympics as well. Uh, and that is, that issue is uh, is advocated very very ably by um, Jim Munson, and he's also a, a, a great advocate, nationally renowned now for um, his work on autism. But I think um, we should get back to literacy, and, and there's all these new senators coming in, and I talked to them about finding an issue that means something to you, and uh, um, I'll put that on the list. Thank you. That's great. And that is our last question. I'd like to thank once again. Thank you. Senator Grant Mitchell, and if you will thank me, thank him with us. <laughs> <laughs>